Our scripture reading this morning uh, is Psalm 42, and then one verse from Romans 8.31. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And then from Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is God's word. Thank you, Susan. Good morning. My name is Brandon Lutz, and I'm the youth pastor here at Redeemer. Drew and Jonathan are on much-needed and much-deserved vacations this week. I think they're both in the mountains. And Jeff is busy planning a church, um, so you all are stuck with me this morning. Just kidding. Sorry. Sorry, Jeff. Um, but this morning we're going to continue in our sermon series called Fightings Without and Fears Within, where we're diving into the scriptures to see what they say about anxiety, worry, suffering, and things related. And we're doing such a fun and happy summer series because, because as many of us know, life is hard. Life's hard whether you're a believer or whether you're a non-believer. And there are so many things in this life that, that happen or that can happen that, that just make us ask God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why is this happening to me right now? And you can hear this battle that is going on in this psalmist in Psalm 42. You can hear the voices waging war in his soul. Charles Spurgeon uh, said this of Psalm 42, It is the cry of a man far removed from the worship of God, sighing for the long-loved house of his God. And at the same time, it is the voice of a spiritual believer under depressions, longing for the renewal of the divine presence, struggling with doubts and fears, but yet still holding his ground by faith in the living God. Still holding his ground by faith in the living God. And that's what our aim is this morning in the midst of the storms of this life, the tragedies around the world, and the brokenness and relationships that seem to be a constant struggle among us. The events of life are going to bring on anxiety, they're going to bring on suffering into our hearts. But even as we go through 
these thunderous and these deafening times, there is a constant, ever-present voice over us. The voices around us and the voices within us are going to seem deafening at times. But the voice of the Father over us is going to always be constant and it will always be true. There will be times where it seems like it is really hard to hear God's voice amidst the rumblings. And there's going to be times where it seems like God's voice isn't even there. But the voice of the Father will always be over us and His voice will always be speaking to our hearts and motivating us to speak to our own hearts. So we're just going to dive right in, and we're going to start with the voices around us. Another way of thinking about this is how our surroundings and the world around us speak to us. What messages is the world around us sending to us, and how do they affect us? Things like your physical conditions, tragedies and sufferings, uh, and cultural philosophies and values, they create voices and messages that are coming our way. Quite often these voices go against the voice of God, whether they're directly or indirectly doing this. They're creating this white noise and this static that can make it challenging to hear the voice of the Father over us. The writer of this psalm is under the oppression of his enemies. He has been captured or enslaved or trapped in in some kind of way because for whatever reason he cannot go to Jerusalem, the place where God is commonly worshipped by many. The psalmist or the captive, he's surrounded by those who are constantly mocking his God, ridiculing his God. You say your God is the God of salvation? Well, then why doesn't your God come save you now? All day this person is hearing the mockery of God, and as each day passes by, his heart and his soul begins to be cast down. To be cast down means to be heartbroken, depressed, inconsolable, a complete loss of hope and a complete loss of joy. The example of of the definition that I came across that struck me the most was that of a newly widowed man or woman. He was cast down at the thought of being alone and removed from the person he loved most in this world forever. To be cast down is to have all hope and all joy stripped away from your soul. And the voices around him are stripping his heart away of his joy and of his hope in God. And his physical physical conditions are creating anguish within him as well. He's not in the comfort of his own home. He's not in the company of his family, his friends, his loved ones. He's lacking food and water and he's in the scorching hot sun all day. And these conditions have added to him feeling like God has left him, that he has no communion with God anymore. And the writer of this psalm, he viewed his relationship with God as an absolute necessity, like water for a deer during a season of drought and constantly being on the run from predators. Uh, Spurgeon said, the next best thing to living in the fullness of the Lord's love, so the next best thing to living in the fullness of the Lord's love is to be unhappy until we have it and to pant hourly after it. You know, every day, our bodies, we lose water uh, through various different ways. Uh, you also have to factor in how active you are throughout the day, how much you weigh. Some people are more prone to sweating than others, like myself. Um, I think I asked Jonathan if I could wear shorts while preaching, and he just laughed at me. Um, I think I would sweat if it was 40 degrees outside. 
So since we're constantly losing water, that means we have to constantly be replenishing ourselves with water. Dehydration is this term that we use to def- define the deficiency of water in us. And did you know it only takes 2%, a 2% in your body's uh, water supply to start being dehydrated, start feeling its consequences. You know, the, the early consequences of this don't seem like they're a big deal. It's fatigue, lack of energy, maybe a headache. But the longer you go without quenching your thirst, the, the worse the consequences get. If you get to a 10% deficit of water or more, then you run the risk of even more serious consequences like a heart attack, stroke, or even death. And most people, they, they believe that once, once I start feeling thirsty, that's when I need to drink water. But really, once you start feeling thirsty, it's already too late. You're already dehydrated. It is estimated that most people are mildly or chronically dehydrated. I think it was over 70% of Americans. Can we also say that many of us are mildly or chronically spiritually dehydrated? Because we're not going to the source of living, living water constantly. Maybe we drink a glass of God a few times a week in the morning, or maybe we get a picture of God on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week we're going to other sources for living water. When it is as natural for us to long for God, to desire God, as for us to thirst, it will be well within our souls. No matter the pain or the anguish or the suffering that we will be going through. You know, there are many voices around us. Your physical conditions could be telling you that you must have done something wrong to make God angry at you. Or they might whisper in your ear that God doesn't truly love you if he's allowing that loved one to suffer and struggle with cancer. Cultural voices are something that our church, in, in the church, not our church, the church in general has chosen to ignore or not give a ton of attention to. Or the attention that we tend to give it is very violent, it's very hostile, and it's aggressive. So that those who are struggling with those voices, they don't want to bring it up with believers. For students, they hear the cultural voice that being popular and well-liked is the root of happiness and arriving in middle school and high school. Their pressure to act a certain way, to make fun of classmates and peers, to dress a certain way so that their friends and their peers will either like them or want to be them. Young men are told that they become a man when they have sex, as opposed to when they take ownership of their relationship with Jesus. You're told if you're a man if you drive a pickup truck. The younger Christian generation, or all, all of us hear this voice. If you love someone, then it's okay to sleep with them. Because then maybe you know one day down the road, you maybe might have a chance of getting married. You need to live together in order to experience what it's like to be married. Put a little test or trial run on marriage. See if you can actually do it before you get married, before you make the commitment. The voice of entitlement is running rampant as well. I'm turning 16, so my parents need to buy me a brand new car. Not a 1997 Honda, not some old beat-up Blazer, but a brand new big Chevy truck. I'm graduating college. I'm graduating seminary, so there are going to be organizations and there are going to be churches that are lining up 
waiting for me with six-figure salaries the moment I get my diploma. I'm retired. I've done my time. I've done my hard work. I've done my volunteering. So you know what? Now, now I get to sit back and relax. Now I'm going to let other people do those things. What about the cultural philosophy on suffering? If I live a good life, then nothing bad should happen to me. Therefore, if something bad happens to me, then I must not be doing something right. The voice of tolerance could very well be the loudest voice around us today. There are no absolute truths, and everything has to be true, and everything has to be accepted. Anything or anyone who claims an absolute truth, something that is unchangeable, is ignorant and closed-minded. Now, I've made an exhaustive list of cultural voices that I would bet most of us have probably heard before, and as many of us know, these are just, this is a small selection of what they are. Um, but what about, what about the Christian voices or the church voices that we hear within our own Christian community? Our theology and what we believe is completely right, and so many other churches and denominations have got it wrong. How does that begin to make us view people who don't go to our church, or people who don't believe maybe the exact same identical things that we do? If we could only have a Christian president in the Oval Office, if only America was run by Christians, then our country would be in such a better place. If you really love your children and you want what's best for them, then you're going to send them to a private school, a Christian school, or you're going to homeschool them. Sending them to public school is not even considered as an option. Dream with me just for a moment. Just humor me, with, humor me for a moment. Can you imagine of having our children spread across the public school system in our city? Can you imagine with me just for a moment if we took all the churches in our county and spread them out in the public school system, what God could do in this county? Think about the relationships that would be forged between the students. Think about the relationships that would be forged between parents to parents or parents with teachers. Can you dream of what Christ would do through that? We would not be able to plant churches fast enough for the growth that would take place. I'm going to let Drew and Jonathan take it from there on Christian Cultural Voices when they get back from vacation. Uh, if I keep going, I'm afraid you all might start throwing things at me. And again, these, these thoughts uh, were not given to instill guilt in any way. They're just ask you to, to ponder and think. Instead of listening to the, the voices around us, let's listen to the voice of the Godfather over us, what he would have us do. But as we have thought about the voices around us, I hope you've been able to think about the ones that are easier for you, for you to listen to, to have the most influence over you. Knowing yourself and how you are wired is half the battle. If you know that certain voices are louder, then you can speak to your heart the truth that it needs to hear and that it needs to be reminded of often. If we do not speak to our hearts, then we are going to give the voices around us too much power and too much influence. We will start compromising on things that we don't need to compromise on. We're going to make mistakes and we're going to fall short. That is going to happen. But the standards of God are on an unwavering line. 
And that is one of the reasons we need to constantly be reminding us and speaking to our hearts the voice of God. So now let's move on to the voices within us. Another way of saying the voices within us is to say the way our hearts speak to us. And that might sound a little weird, but um, just keep going with me. The voices within us are probably a little scarier than the voices around us. It definitely is for me. The way our hearts speak to each of us is going to be much more personal because it's going to start revealing to each of us our own sinful bents. The sinful monsters of our hearts are going to reveal themselves as we tackle the voices within us. You know, and the first thing I was talking to, to Joe Ragsdale, uh, one of the interns here at the church, um, just about the first things that come to mind when you think about the phrase, the voices within us, and we instantly both thought of the, um, like the cartoon where the devil and the angel would pop up on the shoulder of a character. Does that sound familiar to anyone? And so a character in a cartoon or a movie will be internally debating or questioning something that is going on, a choice that they have to make. And the angel, poof, always appears first. And they start to, to tell them, hey, this is the right thing to do. This is the selfless thing to do. This is the good choice to make. And usually, even interrupting the angel, the devil appears on the other shoulder. And it is the voice of what is selfish, what will give this person the most gain, but possibly hurt others. And the devil was always so good at making his choice or making his arguments sound very tempting. And, and I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I have those, those conversations going on inside of me, the devil seems to have a microphone or a megaphone going in my ear while I can barely hear the angel. It might be a faint whisper. And if we look back at Psalm 42, twice the psalmist starts speaking to himself, having one of these conversations, these angel-devil conversations. In verse 5 and in verse 11, he does this because the voices within him are encouraging him to lose all hope and forget the God who is the author of salvation. Not only are his enemies taunting him and mocking him and mocking his God, his very heart is taunting him and challenging his God. The great theologian Selena Gomez and a former innocent Disney television star, has a song titled, The Heart Wants What It Wants. It's the first track on, our, I think it's her latest album, and it's a song she wrote about her unhealthy romantic relationship with, I'm pretty sure it was Justin Bieber, but she never says his name. Um, so this song is all about how she knows she's in this bad, unhealthy relationship And she knows that she needs to end this romance, but her heart is telling her to stay. I want to read a second part of the second verse of the song. I'm not going to sing it. Believe me, you don't want me to. Um, Here is part of her song. Save your advice because I won't hear. You might be right, but I don't care. There's a million reasons why I should give you up, but the heart wants what it wants. The heart wants what it wants. She knows there's a million reasons to end this relationship, but the voice within her is telling her to stay. The heart is telling her, her heart is telling her to stay in this unhealthy relationship. And we're living in a time where we're told to embrace and go after our heart's desires. The feelings and the desires of your heart are what make you, you. 
Don't deny them. Embrace them and pursue them. If your heart wants it, then you are able and encouraged to go after it. Let me read Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So we are told to embrace our heart's desires and our emotions, but we have forgotten how desperately sick and evil and wicked our hearts are. We've forgotten that the curse of sin has infiltrated and poisoned everything in creation, including our minds, including our wills, and including our hearts. How we feel and what our hearts say to us are contaminated by sin. And just because our heart wants something doesn't mean that we should have it. It's been around, what has it been, around a month since the Supreme Court has made it legal for same-sex marriages in America. If you're on any social media site or apps, then you're well aware of the voices that were blasting their thoughts and opinions all across the spectrum. Uh, Many Christians were and still are up in arms, being so adamantly against it, how wrong it is and how it's not, how the Bible has called us to live, and so on. And you want to know something? There is... There's a small, quiet voice within me that wants to join this chorus of hatred. But the reason this voice is encouraging me to do this is probably not the same reason that many of you are thinking of. The reason why my heart wants to join is because if I can just focus, if I can direct all my attention, all my energy towards someone else's sin, towards a different voice, then the small voice within me that is saying, you know what, you don't have to be completely faithful to your wife, doesn't sound that bad. But the truth of the matter is that both of these are just as equally distorted truths of how God has called us to live. Our hearts are constantly trying to justify our sin, to make our sin our sinful desires seem not really that bad. And they're even trying to convince us that our sin really isn't sin at all. It's just us being who we are. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about the role of temperament or personality and how this affects affects the voice within us uh, in his book, Spiritual Depression. It's a book that we've probably mentioned and referenced every week so far this summer. Um, but everyone has a different personality or different temperaments. And how, how we are wired, our personality, our natural dispositions and outlooks play a vital role in how our hearts speak to us. He even goes as to say that there is nothing which is quite so important as that we should without delay and as quickly as possible get to know ourselves. For the fact of the matter is that though we are all Christians together, we are all different And the problems and difficulties, the perplexities and the trials that we are likely to meet are in a large measure determined by the difference of temperament and of type. So he's challenging us and encouraging us to know yourself. Ask yourself the hard questions to get to know yourself even better. One of the characteristics of my temperament is that I'm a very, um, internally I'm a very critical, critical person. Uh, This is a good thing and a bad thing. 
being critical usually means that I tend to have high standards for myself and for other people, which a lot of times leads, leads to success or leads to good things happening. But being critical, uh, what it also can mean is that I, I treat people very harshly, at least internally. Because if they don't measure up to my standards, then what are they good for? But being critical also means that when I fail, when I don't succeed, I fall very hard and I hit the ground very fast. It makes me feel like I'm carrying this enormous weight of my failure on my shoulders. It makes me feel unworthy and it makes me feel undeserving. You see, one of the voices within me is telling me that my worthiness and my value is determined by how I live as if God's love were conditional upon my record. The voice of legalism from within me is constantly whispering itself into my ears. And I have to know this about myself so that when I do fall and when I do fail, I can speak to my heart and tell myself, it's okay to fail. I don't need to be perfect. I definitely don't need to be sitting in my self-pity and guilt, but I need to seek forgiveness where it's due and I need to repent of my sins. For there is now no condemnation for myself because I have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ and my worthiness does not come from my success but from Christ alone. Another voice that can come from within us is the voice of antinomianism. I know that's a very big, weird word and I think for the first year of seminary I pretended to know what it was without looking it up. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Antinomianism, can't even say it right, is kind of the opposite of legalism. Antinomianism is the view that we can relate to God without obeying his words and without obeying his commands. It's more than just the formal belief that I don't have to obey God's law. It's the thought that since God loves me regardless of my record, he doesn't mind how morally or immorally I live. It's the attitude that God accepts me as I am, as he only wants me to be myself. All in all, sin isn't that big of a deal, and God's going to forgive me in the end. Pursuing a life of holiness and living as God has called us to live doesn't matter. This is a voice that we hear around us, but it's also a voice that I think many of us hear within us. It's the voice that is trying to minimize our sin which ultimately is minimizing our need for a Savior. And I believe we all hear these voices at different times in our lives because they are two of Satan's favorite lies. When we let our heart pick and choose what we want to think and how we want to live, we're telling God, the maker of the universe, that he is wrong. How he thinks and the way in which he has called us to live is a mistake. The clay is telling the potter, you made the wrong thing. We don't believe God is who he says he is. And we don't realize the danger that this can do to us, that the danger of listening to the voices within us. There's this show on, I think it was the Discovery Channel, um, one of those types of channels that I don't know if it's still on, I doubt it, um, but it was documented individuals who had very odd pets, very odd pet situations. There was a man who collected, or was trying to collect, every single type of snake in the world. Are you kidding me? 
But anyways, he, he got on the show. He got his national spotlight. Um, there was another lady who collect, or who had four pet alligators, full-grown alligators. They were like, I think, eight, nine, ten feet long. And she would let them roam the house like they were cats and dogs. All right. There was also, the, the last 20 minutes was given to a lady who had a pet snake. It was some sort of non-venomous python, and she bought it when it was very young and very small. Now, when you think about these, the three that I've mentioned so far, like lots of people have pet snakes. What, that's not that big of a deal. What made this situation unique is that the owner would let this snake sleep in the bed next to her. It would curl up and sleep about a foot away from this lady. So as time goes by, the snake continues to grow, and the snake continues to sleep on the bed with the owner. And then one night, the lady randomly wakes up to find the snake lying parallel and straight right next to her. So she wakes up, and she looks to her, my right, her right, and she's got a snake head right here, and the tail is down by her feet. So she, she panics. She freaks out. She believes that her, sick, her snake is sick or it's dying. So she takes it to the vet the next morning, and the vet examines the snake, sits the lady down, and says this. Ma'am, your python is not sick. In fact, it's completely healthy. The reason your python was lying parallel to you was because the snake was sizing you up. You see, snakes will sometimes lay parallel to their prey to determine if it's big enough to devour. If their prey is bigger than them or longer than them, then eating them will kill them in the end. Your snake was trying to determine if it could kill you. If you go through life and you are continually listening to the voices within you to influence your decisions and your choices in life, then you are feeding that snake. And it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. At some point, if you continue this way, it will be too late and the snake is going to devour you. It's just a matter of time. The voices within us can seem very powerful because we we neglect that our faculties have been affected by sin just like everything else. It also seems that to go against the voices within us would be to go against our very human nature and to deny it would be wrong on our part. But when the voices within us go against the voice of the Father over us, we have to speak the truth to our hearts. We have to tell ourselves that we are wrong to think this way. It is not beneficial for us to let our emotions and our emotions influence us and control us. Speak to your heart and speak to yourself instead of letting your heart speak to you. Speak the truth of God and the gospel to your hearts daily to keep the voices within you silenced. Now, as we constantly hear the voices around us and the voices within us, there is the unchanging, constant, ever-present voice over us. And this unchanging, ever-present voice over us is the voice of God the Father. So a question for us is, what does the voice of the Father say? What does he say about us? But before we answer that question, let's first ask, how does God, our Father, speak to us today? And the main way God speaks to us today is through his word, through the Bible. When we read the scriptures, we are reading and we are hearing the very words of God the Father over us. 
we are hearing his voice. That means that the voice of the Father through the scriptures has precedence, it has superiority, and it uh, surpasses any other voices that we hear. When we hear various voices around us and within us, we must go to the voice of the Father and see what it says. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 say, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Did you hear that? All scripture is what we need in order to be complete. The voice of the Father is what we need in order to be complete. No other voice, not even our own voice. I want to go back to the question of what does the voice of the Father say. More specifically, I want to look at some places in Scripture where the voice of God spoke. In the beginning, the earth was without form and void, and darkness hovered over the face of the deep. And then the voice of God spoke. The voice of God spoke and light was created. The voice of God spoke creation into existence. Stars were created. Water was created. Land masses were created. Plants, animals, and even man was created by the voice of God. How powerful his voice is. And when mankind disobeyed God and fell in the Garden of Eden, the voice of God spoke again. Even though we fell, we were promised a Savior that would crush the head of the serpent. And when the long-awaited Savior finally came, the voice of the Father said this of His Son, Jesus. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then the time had come. The time where the Son of God and the Savior Jesus would need to die. And as He hung there, on the cross, and cried out to hear the voice of his Father, the voice that had always given him strength and courage, there was nothing. The voice of the Father was silent towards his Son. The Father had to forsake his only begotten Son and remain silent when his Son needed him the most. It is only because of the silence of the Father towards His Son, Jesus, on the cross, that we can now receive and that we can now hear the voice of the Father over us. Jesus became sin, the one who knew no sin and took on Himself to receive the wrath of God. That is why God remains silent and distant from Jesus on the cross. That is why we can now hear the voice of the Father over us, because Jesus has paid it all. Because of Jesus, the Father now looks at you as his son, or as his daughter. Because of Jesus, the voice of the Father tells you that you are never alone. And I will always be with you, and I will never forsake you. You are loved, and you are cherished, and you are treasured more than you could ever dream. And as we close, let me give you a few uh, just quick applications. Uh, First, the Father doesn't allow any voice or temptation to enter your life that isn't beyond your ability. He always will provide a way to escape the voice so that you will be able to endure, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Again, I know it seems like the voices around us and the voices within us, that they're just blaring and they're screaming at us. 
but the voice of the Father will always be present, even if it's difficult to hear. The psalmist recognized this in our passage. He described his sufferings and situation as breakers and waterfalls and waves crushing him, crashing over him. But do you see whom the psalmist gives credit, who gives ownership of these three things? He says, your breakers, your waterfalls, and your waves. He knows that God is in control and that God is allowing this time of turmoil in his life for whatever reason. Second, I want you to notice the brutal honesty throughout the psalm. God wants us to be honest and open in our relationship with our Father. Our Father doesn't want to hear from us only when things are going really well, only when we're really happy with what God is doing in our lives. He also wants to be that shoulder, that listening and understanding ear when we're suffering in any way. Even when we're angry at God, God wants to hear that from us. Speak to your Father exactly what is going on in your life. Third and lastly, this passage calls us to speak to our hearts. The heart of the psalmist was telling him that all hope and all joy has been lost. God has forsaken you, and you are all alone. You are cast down. There is no hope from the suffering that you are going through. That is a lie. The voice within him is not telling him the truth. So the author begins questioning the voices within him, and he does this twice. Once in verse 5 and once in verse 11, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He speaks against the voices within him and the voices around him. When we have all these voices swirling around us, and going on within us, encouraging us towards us, and stripping us away of the joy and the hope that we have in Jesus and that we have in God. We have to speak the truth to our hearts. We must speak the words of the voice of the Father over us and put these lies to rest. Hear the voice of the Father over you. Speak the voice of our Father to your heart. Let's pray. Father, your voice is what we long to hear. Your voice is soothing and calming as we go through this life full of suffering, full of tragedy, and full of anxiety. Father, we live in a world where we are surrounded and bombarded by the voices all around us. Many of these voices go directly against your voice, and many of these voices go indirectly against you. Help us to discern these messages that we are hearing. Give us wisdom to know how to handle and respond to the many declarations that come our way. Father, guard us from the lies and the directions that come from within us, from within our own hearts. We are told that our heart and our feelings are what make us who we are, but we are so quick to forget how fallen we really are and how wicked and deceitful our hearts are. Father, fill us with hope. Fill us with the hope that is founded upon the voice of the Father over us. Fill us with the hope that guides us through the chaos of life. Fill us with the hope that allows us to speak to our hearts and declare the unchangeable truths of the voice of the Father, the voice of our Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
no matter how many voices are coming our way, no matter how loud they may be, there is one voice that silences all. There is one voice that speaks truth amidst infinite lies. There is one voice that gives life to the dead. And there is one voice that brings hope to the hopeless. (coughs) Now hear and receive these words of God's voice over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord... Ooh, I said that already. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.